would like to begin by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today. And I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Well, hello, and welcome to not just another episode of the Inspired by Yarra podcast, but episode 100. <laughs> Who would have thought, hey? Many of uh, our listeners never thought we'd make it. In fact, maybe even some of our team thought we'd never make it. But here we are, episode 100 of the Inspired by Yarra podcast. Traditionally, we have one guest and we speak with them about their memories and their recollections of their time at Yarra and then we acknowledge the twists and turns of life, the choices, decisions, opportunities that they've made the most of since leaving Yarra. Well, today on our 100th episode, I've gone back through the catalogue, the library of 99 very special guests that we've had and I've taken just a few little snippets from a few of them. I haven't uh, been able to reflect on all 99 guests. If you want to do that then you're very welcome to go back to episode 1 and start from the beginning and uh, but what we're endeavouring to do here is just give you a, a smattering, a snapshot of some of the reflections and the memories of our guests and it will flow through some themes along the way and uh, I think you'll enjoy a chuckle along the way you'll perhaps be triggered some of your own memories of your time at school and uh, we trust that you will of course enjoy this episode and please feel free to share it and recommend it and like it and share it with others who might enjoy it as well my name is Paul Joy and as the host it's been my privilege to sit in on 99 episodes so far and now it's my thrill to present to you episode 100. And I often begin my conversations with Yogs on our regular episodes talking about the school uniform because school uniform is, is something that many of our students easily identify with and it's something that holds strong memories because obviously every day you're at school, you're going to be wearing your school uniform. And so I thought we might start our reflection journey with some conversations, some reflections about the school uniform. And so here is David Sinclair from the class of 2004, sharing some of his early memories of our school uniform. You remember the greys? Uh, I remember the, the light grey socks, the knee-high socks. <laughs> I'm copying a bit of flack for those down at Lillard Station on the way home to Coldstream. So, um, yeah, that's uh, pretty distinctive. And obviously the, the black blazers as well. Thanks, David. And now... A brief reflection, also from 2004, the class of 2004, with Andy Berkner, who recalls the socks. Uh, despite it feeling like a long time ago, been uh, officially back in the 90s, um, no, I, I actually think it's, it's much the same as what it is now. So I think it was technically long socks, but not, not officially. Not often um, pulled up. Not often pulled up, yes, correct. But we definitely had the school, you know, the good old, uh, you know, Clark, Clark shoes. Um, highly fashionable and the and the blazers and all the rest. So yeah, pretty pretty strict. And Ryan Bahagia from the class of two thousand and one appreciates some of the the confidence that he was able to esteem from wearing his uniform with pride. The whole symbolic nature of wearing a tie and presenting yourself well, I think it's really important because it plays into your own psyche as well. So when you're going for an interview, you feel prepared, you feel neat, you feel like 
you're presenting well. So it gives you confidence as well. The ever thoughtful Bronwyn Beach Jones from the class of 2013 on her awareness and understanding of the power of wearing the school uniform and wearing it well. Of the uniform, I remember being very shocked by having to wear a dress every day because from the primary school I was at before, I wore shorts um, and a polo shirt and the idea of having to wear long socks and a dress was something it took a little while to get used to, especially in the February months when it's so, so hot. And now we stretch back a little further into the memory backs, back to the class of 1971. Dr Chris Files, who had not long been in Australia and so was coming to grips with not only the climate but also what is the best uniform to wear. Enjoy this little snapshot from the class of 1971. Dr Chris Files, by the way, from episode 8. And one of my earliest memories was going to the uniform shop with my mother and my brother. And in Australia, everybody wears shorts because it's hot and we are entering into the hottest term of the year. Because back in England, the, I was used to wearing long pants because I was grown up, I was 14, so. Oh no, you wear shorts. So we, we went to school, first day at school, in these very baggy, daggy-looking shorts. And I think we were the only two boys in the school wearing shorts. I then asked Dr Chris Files from the class of 1971 a little more about his favourite place at Yarra. Where, where would we likely find him? What are his memories of the property? And where did he like to hang out? The cricket field. OK, yeah. Because uh, back in England I was a very keen cricketer and I could bowl a bit. And once it was realised, and the, the wonderful Kel Emmett was the cricket coach at the time, very accomplished player himself, that he could see that this little pommy guy could actually bowl mm -hmm. as a left-arm bowler. And as soon as it was clear that I could be some use in the cricket team, suddenly I was accepted and I was looked at very differently. And Martine Oglethorpe from the class of 1990 also has some very strong memories of hanging out and, in fact, <laughs> even more recently, as you'll hear in this little clip, went back to that same place. Different view, different experience, different understanding of the place and yet still holds great memories here on site at Yarra Valley Grammar. I guess we used to uh, we used to hang out on the hill, looking over at the Oval a lot. Um, that was just where we sent, tended to congregate. And then I often walked past where now is the uh, the Year 11 and 12 building, um, and on that little hill there was where we used to wait for the bus. So um, we always used to sit in a in a group there. And, and I still, you know, I walked past there last night actually, going to parent teacher interviews, and walked up the hill, and and it did remind me of those times where we'd just all sit around waiting for the bus, and that's you know where a lot of your you know social interaction happened as well. And here's Steph Poopolo from the class of 2009, and she takes us on a bit of a tour, a bit of a journey around some of her favourite places. I think definitely the sports complex. I spent a lot of time down there, both in winter and summer, and that sports comp. And I also spent a lot of time there outside school hours because the netball team I played for trained there. So I, I that place will always hold a special place in my heart because I spent purely spent so much time there and had some of the most fun and awesome games of netball, awesome games of volleyball, um, lots of good memories. And then 
Um, another one would be the Performing Arts Centre because of, I just think that that building has so much character and it has this like amazing aura about it and so many important things happen there. And I guess the importance for me would be, you know, um, there was some really, really interesting assemblies we had there, but then also um, the times where I, I did have to present on stage a couple of times, which was so nerve wracking, but a cool experience. And then also, you know, getting presented there as a prefect and a captain and, and you know, they're very, very special moments. So that, that building will all, all, always hold a special place in my heart. And then the CAF, because I love food. So I, I, I remember plenty of fun lunch times there and the, the pasta, the bowls of pasta we used to get. And then in summer, we used to have the, the frozen juice cups. I don't know if I still do them there. And we'd all have the, the plastic knives and we'd try and scrape them off. And yeah, there's just a couple of things that stick in my mind. I love that Steph mentioned the PAC. And Bronwyn has a really interesting reflection on her experience of entering the PAC. I wonder if you've been fortunate enough to have this experience as Bronwyn shares here. I think that there is a moment when you walk in the PAC, in the Performing Arts Centre, when there's not a large event on, coming from backstage, and you get to see the expanse open up mm. and all you hear is your own footsteps. I find that incredibly inspiring because yeah. it's the place and the anticipation that something amazing is going to happen. Yes. Whether that be music, whether that be a drama performance, sitting in the audience for an um, inspirational speech or any of those moments, there's the moment before, mm. which is particularly inspiring for me. Mm. Wow, I love that. The PAC also holds a special place for Cass Stutchbury from the class of 2010. Definitely the, the PAC has a lot of a lot of memories because I think that's probably the place where you do the most interesting things, like whether it's a performance or um, that's where we used to, I don't know if you still, still do this, but that's where we used to have drama classes, which are always very interesting. Um, and often, you know, if you do music or, or, or drama or the performing arts, you're there after school and it's a, a time that you spend with your friends um, just being silly and, and bonding and everything. So, yeah, I think that's a really important place to me. And Marie-Louise Metris from the class of 2002, she just kept on listing favourite places for her. Check this out. Definitely in the locker room um, that was hanging out in the locker room. There's always some antics going on in there. Um, but then there was always like the um, adventure up to the, the tuck shop or the canteen um, where we'd all go up there and um, I don't know what we do, hang out up there for a bit. And uh, yeah, and then I think we used to spend just like a bit of time, I don't know, on the Oval or places like that. Um, but it was... I, yeah, I feel like it was different all the time, but the locker room feels like the main hub of where all, all the magic happened. <laughs> and so too, Eliza Schwab from the class of 2014. The CAF. Oh, the memories of the CAF. For me, the CAF was just the coolest thing ever. And still to this day, I miss the CAF so much. The food is so good. And like when my youngest sister was still at Yarra, I thought multiple times about just getting her to order me some food and driving by to pick it up. 
I don't know if it's as good as I remember it, but I just remember it being really, really good. So hanging out in there and I thought like going to Yarra and going on the tour of the um, CAF, it was like high school musical come to life for me. So um, I loved hanging out around the CAF and just around like the year seven area and hanging around like locker rooms and stuff was cool but I don't think in year seven we were allowed to necessarily hang out in the social space but I love the idea of having a locker and that kind of space to hang out with which was cool. And here Hannah Carter from the class of 2013 shares her reflections on favourite places in the latter years of her time at Yarra Valley Grammar. Uh, most of the time I frequently hung out at the music school. Um, I mean, I often had rehearsals, lessons, friends had rehearsals, um, and we'd hang out around that area. Um, year 12, there's, uh, if it's still the same year 12 building as when I was there, in the main area, there's like a little seat right at the very end of the main area opposite, I guess directly opposite, but far away from the kitchen space. And that was my friend's little group uh, spot in year 12. And I remember, you know, year 12 is a pretty stressful time. And me and one of my best mates uh, had the same Friday free periods, but we had orchestra. So you couldn't, uh, couldn't go home because you had to hang around for rehearsals. So we called it our hot chocolate Fridays, which we would grab a hot chocolate in last period and just debrief and chat and, um, you know, just cope with year 12 and uh, you probably could have found me frequenting there um, outside of those times. Um, that was sort of a place you'd definitely find me in year 12. <laughs> Thanks, Hannah. Yeah, one of the things that I recall Hannah then going on to explain about that special place for her in the year 12 building was the awareness and the understanding that it's only hers for a period of time. And then for her at the end of year 12, she had to not only uh, give up that space, but the memories she can hold on to, and yet somebody else moves in. Other students then take over and it becomes a special place for the next year level, for students from the next year level. And and that rite of passage, it's it's effectively a, a shared ownership and you, you get to be there for a period of time and then you move on. Something that a space, an area, a place on our school property that is still there thanks to the conservation and preservation of our precious bushland. And Ryan Buhajia from the class of 2001 remembers that bushland very fondly and the opportunities that it presented for him. That, I don't know if it's still there, but that bushland down the back, that was definitely um, a standout favourite place, I have to admit. I mean, it's not often that you uh, you have a school environment that includes such a la la large area of bushland, and I remember particularly in primary school we we uh, were taken down there and taken on walks and shown all the different sort of flora and fauna. So yeah, that that definitely stands out as a as a great memory. And Sean Gooden from the class of two thousand and two. She didn't necessarily have one particular place, but liked to stay on the move and it became a bit of a ritual for her, as you'll hear in this short reflection from Sean Gooden from the class of 2002, which she shares in episode 72 of the Inspired by Yarra podcast. Um, in terms of year eight and nine, so I can remember my bestie and I in year eight, um, someone I'm still very close friends with, um, every day before school, we'd do a little lap of the school. So we'd catch up on, you know, 
the evening that we'd have and we'd walk around and we'd kind of do a lap of the PAC and um, back up to the year eight locker room. Um, and it was like this daily ritual between us, just a nice little way for the two of us to catch up without interruption and before, um, yeah, kind of stepping into the chaos that was the locker room. But we spent a lot of time, I think, in that locker room as well. Um, yeah, just hanging out with everyone and, and having lots of fun. As much as the uniform matters and places around our school mean special things for different people, so too, and maybe more so, is the people that you meet. And in a school setting, one of the first people that you uh, encounter, in addition to your friends, is the staff, the teachers. And I really appreciate this reflection on day one from Dr. Chris Files from the class of 1971, his day one at Yarra Valley Grammar was, as you'd appreciate, it can be daunting, it can be overwhelming, and it was a particular teacher who made him feel comfortable because on day one, he met Norman Maggs. And there I met the wonderful Norman Maggs. Ah. And Norman with his booming Welsh voice he took us under his wing and I felt at home in that second class. Wonderful. Because Norman was just wonderful bloke. Isn't that terrific? Yeah. And so they're my very, they're my very first memories of this school. And there are certain teachers, evidently, like Norman Maggs, who have an impression on multiple people. Howard Brenchley, from, also from the class of 1971, shares his reflections of the great Norman Maggs. Well, I think there was very close relationship with the staff thing because in the first year, I think there probably only a dozen staff members overall. So you knew them all very well, even those that didn't teach you at all. Um, and, and I think there was a, a real camaraderie between staff and students and parents. I think everybody got involved. Here's this new school. We're all excited. We want to make it work. Um, and, you know, we had uh, staff members. I still remember Norman Maggs, who was the art and craft master, and uh, he, he uh, headed up Darling House, which was the house that I was in, which no longer exists. Um, uh, I think that became, uh, which is the Red, uh, red House now, uh, Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> is, is it Arnott, maybe? Uh, I think it's Arnott, yes. Um, but uh, Norman was... Yeah, I look back on it. Every time I see the movie Mr Chips, Norman Maggs was your classic Mr Chips. He knew every boy. He mentored them. He really looked after us. And, and I certainly had a very good bond with him, and, and that continued after school. And Norman was instrumental in in getting the Past Students Association it was then set up. Cass Stutchbury from the class of 2010 has etched herself a career as a dietitian and she reflects on some influential teachers who have helped her to be where she is today. Definitely, I mean, I had a, a lot of good teachers, especially my science teachers were super engaging. And I think they made me want to pursue a career that did involve 
science, which what I do now is a lot of science. Like digestion is basically just a chemical reaction um, in, in, you know, in, in a human body, which is kind of a biological place. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I think there were some teachers there who were really inspirational, who made me want to go down that route. Um, yeah. In episode 61 of the Inspired by Yarra podcast, Steph Pawopolo, a emerging great netballer, speaks and reflects on her time beginning and starting here at Yarra. And as you'd imagine, our sports staff were very keen to embrace Steph, as she recalls here. I have vivid, vivid memories of Mary Carroll when I started. She was obviously so excited to have me, which was awesome and very welcoming. But I remember um, one lunchtime, she's like, right, meet me down at the sports complex. I'm going to teach you how to play volleyball. And so she, I would literally go down at lunchtime and she would just hit a volleyball at me. And I learned volleyball from scratch just with Mary Carroll. And... It ended up being, I ended up, um, obviously didn't go straight into being an amazing volleyballer by any means, but I can't, I think it would have been maybe by year 10 or 11, I made my way into the first team for volleyball and ended up playing a year of state league volleyball as well. And that was literally all thanks to Mary Carroll. And if it wasn't for her getting me down there and hitting the volleyball at me and making me realise how much of a fun sport it was, um, I never would have played volleyball if it wasn't for having a a summer sport that I had to choose. Uh, um, So I, again, feel very grateful that I got that opportunity through Yarra. And I must admit, Mary Carroll does get a few mentions across our 99 episodes and maybe that's why Mary Carroll is one of our very happy listeners. G'day, Mary. Here's another of your former students, Martine Oglethorpe, reflecting on the opportunities that you presented to your students. Well, one example was I, um, Mrs Carroll, the uh, PE teacher at the time, she was taking a group of, um, of uh, skiers up to, uh, I think it was um, Falls Creek, and, and I'd never skied before. My girlfriend, Felicity Scott, she'd never skied before, so we thought... I wonder if we could tag along just to have a go and see what it's like. And um, so we said to Miss Carol, can we come along, you know, just, she goes, yeah, why not? That's a good idea for you to come and, you know, have a go. This is just the the trials to see who was going to make the the ski team. So we went along and we we snow ploughed the whole way down the mountain and had lots of falls and and we really loved it. And and she goes, oh, if you want to come, there's another trial. It's a two-day trial though, so, you know, and so went back to mum and dad, said, yeah, you know, this is a good way for us to experience it without you having to take the whole family. So we did again and she said, oh, at the end of it, let me just make a team out of you. And um, there was another two girls who, who were in the same boat. So she made us the girls' B team. And we, again, snowplowed our way down the mountain in the, uh, in the championships. And uh, we, we weren't last because there were a few girls that were probably a lot faster but fell off. So, so we, uh, we, we, you know, we completed it and had, had a ball. And that was a, a massive highlight for me because, um, as I say, it wasn't something that we did as a family. So we never went skiing. So it was a great way for us to get involved and... A little shout out here to our primary school teachers or our junior school teachers who have to be able to turn their hand to almost anything. And Josh Simmons from the class of 2013, a silver medalist in the Australian hockey team, an Olympic silver medalist, recalls the very first time he picked up a hockey stick with thanks 
to one of our junior school staff members, Mr. Grant Allison. Here's Josh reflecting on those early days of him and hockey. I picked hockey with um, my mate Nicky McLennan on a afternoon in, I think it was grade four or something like that. And we played on the old tennis courts, which I think is now where the math and science building is. I think there used to be old green tennis courts there. So we, we got to play hockey there. Um, and Grant Allison, who was a grade four teacher at that stage, he was a member of Doncaster Hockey Club. And he um, kind of said, you know, Nikki and Josh, you got a bit of a knack for this. Why don't you go down and try um, a little hook into hockey program and like the equivalent of Auskick in hockey. Um, and then, yeah, we played for a couple of seasons together and then I continued on. There's no doubt that the passion of teachers does have an influence on their students. And as David Sinclair from the class of 2004 reflects, there were certain teachers he had that have shaped his career, have influenced what he's interested in because of the passion held by a teacher and shared by his teachers. And there was a few teachers here particularly that helped trigger that. Um, I actually ran into Mr. Manning, who I believe might have retired this year or maybe he's in his and last he's year. <laughs> he's back. Good. Well, I, I ran into him and I hadn't seen him since year 12. And, you know, he was a great English teacher and, and also a fantastic philosophy teacher. Yes. And I know that for me that really triggered a passion that I didn't know that I had in philosophy. And I ended up actually chasing that through university as well and, and trying to dive deeper um, once that spark was lit. Mm. Um, same with Mr. Van Ags and International Studies in Year 12. Mm. Um, that really, really triggered some, some interest for me. And to close this short section about teachers and the influence of teachers, here's Bronwyn Beach-Jones, who has transitioned from being a student to now being a teacher. And her summation of the joy of teaching for those who are able to pause long enough and reflect. Teaching, what a career, what a way to impact, what a delight, as Bronwyn shares from the class of 2013 and her episode, her full episode is episode 81 of the Inspired by Yarra podcast. The joy of teaching is that you as a teacher gain so much yeah. from it yes. and perspectives that oh, I would never have thought of that. Yeah. And then I'll often on the way home from a class be like, wow, that was a great point. Yes. And then that opens up so many possibilities. Yeah. And it also it sparks mm. that sense of wonder about knowledge mm. and wonder about the different perspectives that we bring because of the different pasts and mm. roads we've travelled on to that moment. Yes. There's no doubt that teaching is one of those powerful, fulfilling careers where really it's a calling. It's a calling to endeavour to make a difference and create opportunities for learning and growth. And speaking of opportunities, that's one of the things that Yarra prides itself on. And as thousands and thousands of students have walked the corridors and sat in the classrooms and played on the sports fields and performed on the stage and gone on trips and travelled, and it's the opportunities that makes a school like ours so rich in experiences, whether it be sport, for example, 
opportunities to explore. And Andrew Morrow from the class of 1984 shares this reflection about how sport was so influential in helping him find a spot at Yarra. I love sport. And I think that was certainly a way um, to actually get into the community, um, the year nine uh, group. So um, uh, I think um, yeah, sport does that in many different facets of life. If, um, if you can join a team and be part of that team component, it certainly uh, helps fit in. Um, so that enabled me to, to get in, I suppose. Another important part of a school and the opportunities that it offers to students is to stretch them, to challenge them, to help them grow. And Lauren shares a reflection on how opportunities that she said yes to at Yarra put her outside of her comfort zone and caused her to grow. What a great opportunity. Here's Lauren. Oh, gosh, honestly, I mean, we're very lucky uh, at Yarra in our time that we had so many performance opportunities with assemblies and all that kind of thing and also all the concerts and shows and stuff that we put on. Uh, but I I can still feel it in my chest, the fear that I felt. It was, I had a very, very strong sense of um, stage fright, I suppose, um, which I think surprised a lot of my mates at the time because I was such an outgoing and loud person in every other facet of my life. But the stage fright was real. I can I can feel my heart pumping at the idea of it. I can't feel my fingers. You can't, and you know, trying to play a wind instrument when you can't breathe and when, when you're choking on air is, is not an easy feat. So I think most of my performances at high school, more what I remember is the feeling of fear uh, than the actual, did I even play the notes nicely or not? I, I don't know, but um, it certainly developed though. As I, as I went along, it, it got easier. So whether it's on the sports field or, or maybe up on stage, there are opportunities for growth as we roll up our sleeves and endeavour to help others. And Sean Gooden from the class of 2002 reflects fondly on the opportunities to help others through community service and community links. Here's Sean. Um, I also got involved, I guess, in more um, community-facing activities. So, you know, I know that we had a partnership, for example, with Irabina, um, around the corner and, you know, did some volunteer work there and that sort of thing. And so I was really drawn to that um, particular side of, I guess, extracurricular life. As Sian continued to share in episode 72 of the Inspired by Yarra podcast, she still has an involvement in community service and helping people and building communities today. Speaking then of a community maybe a bit further afield and one of the opportunities that some people are able to take hold of within the Yarra Valley Grammar experience is to travel. And Bianca Cubitt from the class of 2013 had that opportunity on an art tour. Here's her reflection. Well, actually, when I was in year 12, I got to do the um, art tour to Italy, and that was absolutely incredible, except I would love to go back as an adult who enjoys wine now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I imagine the experience could be somewhat different travelling on your own, maybe with some friends as an adult, as opposed to in a, a school group. But nonetheless, the school tour opened your eyes to what's possible. Oh, it did. It was just absolutely incredible. It was one of those once-in-a-lifetime opportunities, being able to go overseas with your group of your closest friends and studying art as well. It was just amazing. I absolutely loved it. 
So whether it's traveling the world, working and rolling up your sleeves and helping people closer to home, Yarra Valley Grammar really does involve, welcome, embrace people of all character, all abilities, all interest areas. And in fact, as Marie-Louise Metris from the class of 2002 explores in this reflection, Yarra Valley Grammar does develop a, a culture of success and there is opportunities for everyone. The thing that I liked about Yarra is that there was really a culture around being successful and like that that was okay. And I didn't always see that in other schools. Um, and I think people had the opportunity to, to thrive in different areas. So if you weren't academic or you could do the arts or you could do debating or there was ski team or there was there was such a variety of things that you could find an area where you could excel in um and so i thought i think that that kind of gave people the opportunity to shine and to do what they really enjoyed um and to i guess to back yourself and have confidence that you can do whatever you you know that you want to do and, and 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 I think a lot of the teachers that I worked with you know the ones that I got on with really helped to develop that that confidence in me and I think that that's a really important part of of leadership for sure is confidence and, and to try things and not always get them right but then you know to be able to kind of nurture that you know those interests that you have. And by way of concluding this short installment of the opportunities and focusing on the opportunities offered at Yarra, John Adam from the class of 2006 acknowledges that in amongst the opportunities, there needs to be a good dose of gratitude. And I appreciate John's acknowledgement of his parents and the sacrifices they made to allow him to have the opportunities and make the most of the opportunities presented at Yarra. Here's John from episode 77 of the Inspired by Yarra podcast. Gratitude is a great thing. Um, and I, I give an example. I mean, I'm going to link it back to um, my time at Yarra Valley. Is like my parents, um, you know, worked very hard to send me into Yarra Valley. And, you know, when I look back now of, you know, my dad was traveling all the way across town because he was a tradesman to come pick me up from school. Um, and I was hurt at the time because sometimes it would be late and I'd be the last one standing out on, um, you know, Kalinda Road waiting for him. But, you know, having gone through that now and like every day I appreciate all the opportunities I got because had I not had all those opportunities, I would not have, you know, been able to explore the things I've done now and understood mm. what I've been really good at. Mm. Um, and so I'm 100%, you know, I show a lot of gratitude to my parents for what the sacrifices they made but the opportunities that they gave me. Um, and it's only now that I start to appreciate that more. I didn't really probably understand that so much when I was in, you know, at school at the time. Um, so I think gratitude is a very important thing and that's just about being humble and, you know, understanding that, you know, everybody's dealing with different situations. Mm -hmm. If you uh, um, if you just appreciate what you have and then understand what, you know, other people are going through, it's just going to, um, you're going to become a better person and create a better world as well. Regular listeners to the Inspired by Yarra podcast would appreciate that one of my, <laughs> albeit it might be just me, but one of my favourite parts of the conversations that I get to have with our yogs is the lightning round, what I, <laughs> what I like to call the lightning round. And in there, I often will begin by asking them around what house they were in. And it's interesting when we stack a few of these together, some of the themes that come out of 
whether or not uh, people recall what house they were in and indeed whether they were any good. Here's a couple of reflections on house involvement. I was in plumber. Plumber. And were plumber any Green. good back in your day? No. Oh. <laughs> I think Hughes. Panels, the, the blue house. I was in Hughes. Arnett. Plumber. Arnett. Arnett. And were Arnett any good back in your day? They're always good. <laughs> it's an interesting response and some people say yes, they were great. Cameron Agar's from the class of 1990. What house were you in at Yarra? Arnott. Were Arnott any good back in the day? Always. <laughs> yes, we were. Yellow. And were you any good? Were Hughes any good? I reckon we were. I think we won a couple of the sports, but not all the sports. Was it Plummer and Arnott? Were they the other houses? Um, there, were, there were some fierce rivalries, but I was proud to be a Hughes um, representative. Marie-Louise, when you were at Yarra, what house were you in? I was in Annals. Annals. Now, back in the uh, early 2000s and thereabouts, were Annals any good? Yeah, we were great. Yeah, I was a house captain. We were awesome. <laughs> Andy Berkner from the class of 2004. When you were at Yarra, what house were you in? Uh, I was in, in green, which is plumber. Plumber, yes. Okay, I'm going to say tick for that. Now, this is perhaps more controversial. Were plumber any good back in your day? Yeah, we were the best. We were <laughs> standout performers. Of course you were. Of course you were. And here's Ryan Bahadja from the class of 2001 thinking he and his house, they're pretty good too. Plumber. Were plumber any good back in your day? Oh, I, I'll tell you, I'll tell you we, we were very good at swimming. And that, that is a great memory I hold from Yarra. We, we, we won, um, I think we won a, a couple of swimming carnivals when I was there, actually, on the back of a few very strong swimmers that were in my, um, in my house. Yeah. Yes, very good. It's great and memories, though. Great memories of celebrating that. What house were you in when you were at Yarra? I was in Plumber. Plumber. Now, were Plumber any good back in your day? Uh, I'd say they probably were the best. <laughs> you know, <laughs> every best person house? who yeah. I speak to from Plumber <laughs> says the same thing. Hughes? Yellow? Mm -hmm. Were they any good back in your day? Uh, mixed bag. Good at swimming. Okay. Um, we had a couple of really good swimmers in, our, in the year level above me. But, yeah, not as strong at Aths. And Chris Beale from the class of 1999... Pretty straightforward. Uh, Hughes. And were Hughes any good back in your day? They were good, yep. <laughs> Nick Pask was our, uh, our uh, house captain. And, uh -huh. uh, yeah, we're pretty sure we won. Pretty sure we won something. We definitely uh, were good at footy and athletics. Uh -huh. so, yeah. I was in Hughes. And were Hughes any good back in your day? Uh, not really. <laughs> that um, is the first time anybody has ever actually been honest. Normally they would say, oh, yes, of course, we were great. Tell me about Hughes and their struggles. Um, we, we were perennially third or fourth. Oh, my gosh. Now I can't remember. I was in the yellow. I know it was a gold colour. <laughs> we call that Hughes. Oh, okay. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What What would you say? And 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 maybe this is this is not intended to be a trick question. What was What was your contribution to your house? Where did you excel? Oh, I think it would definitely be in the cross country. Lauren Breeley from the class of twenty twelve. What house were you in? Um, the yellow one. 
You got to give us more information than that. I don't know. Hughes, yes, Hughes. That was in Hughes. I didn't get to choose though. I had an older brother, so he was put in it, and then it just happened. Do you remember were Hughes any good back in your day? Uh, well, I certainly wasn't any help to them. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and Andrew Morrow from the class of 1984, very level-headed in his response. Uh, annals. And were annals any good back in your day? Uh, in the middle. In the middle in in terms of uh, athletics, soccer, football. Yeah, in the middle. Zoe Petropolis, Yog from the class of 2019. What house were you in when you were at Yarra Valley Grammar? I was in Arnett. Arnett. And were Arnett any good back in your day? Yep, they were pretty good. Plumber. Plumber. Now, were Plumber any good back in your day? I don't think so. Um, I wasn't overly sporty though, so I mean, as long as they kept me off the field, they were probably fine. So you did um, your bit by staying out of it. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I was the person hiding way up the back <laughs> on sports days, the one with a fake injured note from the parents. <laughs> Josh Simmons from the class of 2013. What house were you in at Yarra? Plumber. And were Plumber any good in those days? Uh, no, we weren't that good. <laughs> no. I was in Plumber. And were Plumber any good back in your day? Honestly, I can't remember. Is that terrible? I was I was never your fastest swimmer or your runner, so I didn't do a lot of house sports. I don't know that we were terrible, but I can't remember if we actually won. <laughs> so, as you hear in the lightning round, we have mixed responses when it comes to house spirit. Some who can't even remember the colour or the name of their house and others who absolutely it was all about the house competition and supporting your house and your teammates in the house and leading your house. Let me assure you that house spirit and the house competition is still alive and well. Another question that I like to ask, because it changes through the generations, although clearly there are some staples, but I ask our YOG guests, what would we find in your lunchbox while you were regularly coming to school at Yarra? And here's a couple of responses. Well, in my lunchbox, probably leftovers from the night before when I had access to a microwave. Yes, okay. So as you go through the, the older years nowadays, you can uh, warm things up. Yeah. Yes, very good. Very good. Uh, pretty good on wraps. Um, sultanas, carrots, apples. Uh, had a fairly, even though a small skinny bloke, had a fairly substantial uh, lunch. <laughs> and who made it? Uh, yeah, mother. Good on your mum. Um, probably like... A toasted cheese sandwich. I just remember like we had like a sandwich press in the locker room and um, just the toasted cheese sandwich was just the, the most amazing thing. Do you remember how well that was looked after and cared for and cleaned up? I don't think it was great. <laughs> I don't think it was great. I don't think the hygiene factor was up there. No, I think it's uh, probably still the same. Regular feature for me was a peanut butter sandwich. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I just loved it every day, and so that was just a go-to. Just every single day, peanut butter sandwich. And did you make it yourself? No, that was always mum. Good on your mum. <laughs> Thanks, mum. And a piece of fruit, perhaps. Yeah, there was always fruit in there. And you ate it. Yeah. Good work. Good boy. Good boy. <laughs> Money for the tuck shop. <laughs> <laughs> and what was the go-to at the tuck shop? It's interesting. As I talk to different people from different eras, there are certain things that seem to have stood the test of time. Meat pie and a strawberry donut. Strawberry donut, so an ice donut? Yep, that's the one. (laughs) With or without sprinkles? 
without. Yeah, I'm, I'm without as well. My kids yeah. love it with the sprinkles, but no, not Same. for me. Yeah. <laughs> so moving then from what you might take to school in your lunchbox to, well, quite presumptuously, I invite myself over to dinner some of the time to uh, see what the yog might serve up for dinner. And here's a couple of fun responses. Firstly, from Hannah Carter. I've got a few things that I quite like, but I'm going to draw on uh, my housemates and I just did a, you know, we can't go out or do anything. So we did our own sort of fancy three course Brownlow dinner the other night. Um, and I make a pretty good chicken parma um, with a salad and chips. Super boring, but a classic. And it's nice to bring a bit of Melbourne to Canberra up here. Otherwise, I make a good, I call them chicken parcels, which is just like a mix of veggies and chicken in filo pastry. But they always go down a treat as well. According to John and Josh, smoked barbecue is the way to go. Uh, my go-to meal is I'm very heavily on smoking barbecues right now. So I love to put on a barbecue and, and smoke meat. And so that's what I'm passionate about right now at home. So, I, you know, everyone, I have a lot of friends who say, oh, we want to come around and do a barbecue. Nice. Yeah, it usually nice. means spend a lot of time around checking temperatures and doing what. Yeah, there's a lot of preparation in that. There is. But it's good that they appreciate it and they want to come. Dad actually bought me, he made a deal with me a few years ago to buy, uh, if I made the Olympics, he'd buy me a big um, offset smoker, like cooking with fire to cook um, meat with. Um, so that's sitting downstairs right now. So um, yeah, I like to cook steak or um, smoke some meat, you know, ribs or brisket, the equivalent kind of stuff. But um, nice. general everyday cooking I do enjoy. Chris Beale from the class of 1999 acknowledges, well, it really depends on who's coming for dinner. And his level of success over the years is questionable. Uh, I'm very good at cooking chicken nuggets these days <laughs> for uh, my, my kids. Good at eating. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, uh, if you had somebody coming around who you were trying to impress, what oh, would yeah. be your go-to? What, you, uh, what would you serve up? Mm. I, uh, I made gnocchi for my now wife, uh, who was another... Yeah, it's another yog. Uh -huh. And she was uh, someone at the time you wanted to impress? Yeah. And she said it was pretty bland. <laughs> oh. so, uh, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay, well, we're not coming around for knocky yeah. then by the sounds of it. <laughs> Sometimes I invite the yogs to suggest who they might like to invite over for dinner. And we've heard all sorts of, you know, famous people and great sports people and terrific performers and entertainers and thinkers and scientists and we've had a few who have even said they want to bring their family back together for dinner. I liked this one from John Adam from the class of 2006, a, an interesting collection of people to have around his dinner table. Um, love to invite Elon Musk. I think he's 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 such a unique um, person. Uh, I think we're blessed to have someone like him in the world today. He's, he's definitely, his mind is thinking like, uh, what are the real big problems that we're facing in the world? He's not getting caught up on the, on the small petty things. Mm. Um, he's trying to do good for the human race and definitely change the game. And um, so I really admire him and everything that he does. Um, I'd love to have a chat with Einstein. I mean, he was a very, from what I've read, he was a very creative person. He had, he was, he was very, like, considered very awkward back in the day. He had a lot of different ideas and they weren't very accepted um, in the day, but yet he was an absolute genius. Um, you know, all the things that he came up with. You got room for one more. Oh, got room for one more. Um, 
I'd probably say Barack Obama. Um, I, I mean, I like following uh, politics in some way, but I feel like Barack Obama is the type of guy that, you know, you could you could have a chat to him and he'd be open and honest and wouldn't judge you from where you've come from and who you are and um, and I feel you'd have a very honest conversation with him mm. and he'd obviously have a very a lot of good experiences and things that he could share with you. Can you just imagine the conversation of getting you with those three gentlemen in the same room together from those different eras of, of, of history to be able to just the, the things that you could come up with, the conversations that you would have and the, the problems that you might even explore to solve, it's a, it's a dynamic combination. Yeah, there's a lot of different people there. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I love that. So thanks for sticking with us this far through our 100th episode where we've endeavoured to give you a snapshot of different perspectives and different ideas from a variety of questions that we regularly ask. And now some... I guess, generally speaking, some advice or some encouragement for our listeners, whether our listeners are, are students who are perhaps in the midst and the thick of their studies at school or maybe toward the end of their uh, learning journey at Yarra and then ready to launch out into the wide open field. And there's also some guidance in here about how to work and work with others and the variety of people that you'll encounter and also, the idea of looking for opportunities and, and maybe some need for persistence along the way. John begins with some advice for students. You're always going to gravitate to your natural abilities. And for me, it was technology and it was being creative. And I, I think like for, for the kids that are struggling along with that one, I think I mean, be, be vocal about it. I mean, it'll show in your scores, but don't beat yourself up about it. Um, if it's not going well for you, then that's just proven to you that that's maybe a direction that's not going to favor you in your career. That doesn't mean to say you're not going to use it in your career and you haven't realized it yet. It just means that that's probably not going to be where your strengths are at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to have to get through it and, you know, you're going to have more opportunities during VCD um, and you're going to have more opportunities doing um, as soon as you go into university. But it may seem like, oh, you know, I don't want to be doing Doing this right now, and I hate it. But once you get through it, I think there's you'll start to you know start to see the subjects that you enjoy, and you're going to start to excel in those subjects. And at the end of the day, those are the thing, going to be the things that is going to make you most happy in life. And Bronwyn offers some insightful perspective about uni and subject selection, and the need to be broad in our collective thinking about the value of exploring and studying and learning and engaging on all manner of topics and themes. Thanks, Bronwyn. I was a co-dux of my year and many times people said to me, oh, just arts. And I think that's something that uh, we should fight back against Mm. because arts is about feeling, thinking and imagining Mm. and that's what makes us human. Mm. So it is what I wanted to do and it's taken me to where I want to go as well. Mm. But I understand that the, that type of very open degree, it's not for everyone. I think that after school, there's so many different pathways you can go on. It's just about finding the one that's right for you. Mm. Kirsten Jackson from the class of 1987, a well-established artist now, a successful runner, still running, 
She talks about the need and the value of persistence. Like what is it that keeps you going? Whether it's in art or athletics or whatever pursuit. Persistence is the key, according to Kirsten. I don't know what kept me going. It just, I just did. I must have known, had this deep sense within me that, and also I think what happened is that the more I painted, the better my artwork got. So, you know, the more hours I spent in the studio, the more techniques I found, the more things, it's like being, you know, if you're wanting to run in the marathon at the Olympics, you can't just go, I'm not going to do any training and just rock up at the start line and qualify. You actually need to do so much running to get to the point where you're fast enough. And I think it's the same as an artist. I mean, you can have talent, you can have the seed inside you, but unless you're prepared to do the work, um, you know, it's not going to be as good. I have artists contact me all the time and they're like, you've been painting for six months. I'm like, oh, how do you sell so many paintings? And I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) do you know how many hours I've spent not just painting, but marketing, branding, you know, doing so many things with the website, with the, you know, the content. And it's just not as simple as just putting your stuff up on an Instagram post and going, everyone's going to buy my work. Marie Louise from the class of 2002 reflects on how important it is to keep on learning and practicing communication and the leadership opportunities that can eventuate as we focus on communication. Yeah, look, um, so I um, am a social worker and I have worked at two of the main hospitals in Melbourne. I've worked at the Royal Melbourne Hospital and at St. Vincent's Hospital. Um, And definitely talking is like a major part of my job. I do work one-on-one with clients and I've got my own business as well, but um, where I see clients, but I, I guess I've also been a part of teams for a long time um, and I've taken leadership roles in all of the teams that I've been in. And I think that that sort of stemmed from Yarra. Like, I think I was always a bit of a leader. I was a prefect and I was house captain at school, but it just, I think, um, I don't know. I think those skills that I learned early on, even though I kind of had a natural instinct for it, were really started to develop at school. Um, and then it just kind of naturally progressed that way. You know, once I went into, um, into these hospital systems and I was working in teams, it just, I kind of worked my way up the, up, up the pecking order and, you know, ended up being, you know, in charge of a few teams. And it's a lot of talking. And Stephanie from the class of 2009 continues the theme of the value of team and cooperation and flexibility and being grateful and working with a variety of different people and personalities and experiences in your working life. Be open, be adventurous, work in a team. Being part of a team is one of the the biggest and most crucial parts of growing up. And you learn so much than you ever realise until you get into adulthood and you're like, oh, I'm so glad I was part of a team because you get into the corporate world and you have to work in teams. And if you can't, it makes it very challenging. So I have had a lot of a lot of times of reflection recently where I've thought, I'm so grateful for the for what I learnt, both in being part of a team at school, being part of elite teams, elite sporting teams after finishing school, 
there are so many things that I'm now realizing I have learned at, at just by being part of a team. And I just think um, learning to be able to, I think the biggest one is learning to be able to work with a big variety of personalities. A team is all, all, you're never the same person, how boring it would be if you were. But having that opportunity um, as a child, as a young person, you probably don't realise that you're doing that. You, you sort of just, you mould to your environment and you and you, you learn along the way. And then when, when you're an adult and you're part of a team, you realise, oh, you learn more about different quirks in people's personality and how to work with them and how to get the best out of them. And there's obviously lots of, um, I learned a lot about leadership along the way as well. And if it wasn't for being part of a team, I don't think I would be where I am now in my job, to be honest, because I I have sort of joined the corporate world later than most people. Um, my 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 finishing my degree kind of was a bit delayed because of team sport. Um, and I've sort of probably progressed quicker as a result of what I've learnt in my, my years of being part of team sports. And sometimes we need to take a break from those teams or, or maybe even prepare ourselves for a moment of high anxiety. Maybe we're going for a job interview. Maybe we're about to walk on stage and Hannah offers this exercise around centered breathing. And she actually explains in this little clip how to go about it. Get your pen and paper ready. Maybe give it a try. Thanks, Hannah. So a really quick one uh, that I probably pull out all the time is something that I learned through singing. Um, obviously, singing is a very you get very anxious, and the uh, prior to going on stage, and your heart rate go, heart rate goes up, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so I actually did a class called Peak Performance Under Pressure, and this is where we learned it. And it's called Centered Breathing, um, and essentially there's a lot more complexity. So to anyone who does know Centered Breathing pardon not including all of that but essentially it's finding yourself in a comfortable standard or seating position picking a point on the wall and essentially you breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth and say you breathe in for two you breathe out for four breathe in for four breathe out for eight and so the idea is that you're just really consciously focusing on the breath um, and it helps reduce your heart rate um, can clear your mind and the really extended version is then you can visualize and use a sort of um uh, silent practice or visualization of techniques um, before you walk in to do something. So if you're about to go into a big speech, taking three minutes or two minutes to do a few breaths and then thinking about your opening line and how you're going to deliver it. And that sort of um, has shown evidence even to improving your performance from that perspective. But I love it. Like walking into an interview, we'll just sit there and do a few um, deep breaths to focus and de-stress. The need to get alongside people and earn their respect is a challenge, particularly when those people think that they know more, they are perhaps more experienced, they're older, they're wiser, they think maybe they're tougher. And a group of garbage collectors back in the day when you used to jump on the back of the truck and hang on and then you'd actually physically pick up the bin and throw it in the back of the truck and empty it and run to the next one and while Andrew Morrow found himself in the midst of leading a group of council workers and some of the hardest nuts to crack was those garbage collectors. 
and he got in amongst it, got his hands dirty, rolled up his sleeves to earn their respect. Here's his reflection on earning respect. So I walked into a job at 26 where I had um, garbage guys that were ex-Wolfies in their 50s um, and they just looked at me and said, we're going to give it to you and they did. So for six months, I learned the uh, I learned how to communicate. <laughs> it was uh, they did ask me in the interview. They said, um, "So what's the biggest hurdle you think?" I said, "Oh, probably trying to get some respect out of um, the garbage um, our garbage workers." And they said, "Well, that's probably right." Uh, so what are you going to do about it? I said, "I'm I'm going to go run garbage." And garbage started at five o'clock. So they worked from five to eleven thirty, and the rest of the staff worked from seven till three thirty. So my second week there, I uh, snuck in at four o'clock in the morning into my office and uh, had my runners on and they were filling up the trucks uh, from the fuel station and um, I opened the door in the pitch black and they turned around and just looked at me and um, said a few choice words and uh, they, and they said, what are you doing? I said, I'm here to give you a hand. So I jumped on the back of the truck. I didn't have a truck license, so I couldn't drive. So it was me. And back, back in the days, we were literally picking the bins up and putting them into the back and uh, that so I I ran garbage for the week. I ran, we had three, uh, five crews, and I ran a crew every day. Um, for me, um, it's always been if I can't do it, then I can't tell anyone else to do it. I, I've got to understand um, how hard or easy it is, and I would never ask someone to do something that you know I wouldn't have a um, do it myself. And this little clip from Mark Stafford from the class of 1986 was recorded right in the thick of COVID when we were in lockdown and we were limited and there was uncertainty everywhere. And I really appreciate his insight into what it's going to take for us post-COVID. And there are some things that we've learned during COVID that I hope, that I trust, that even Mark alludes to that are embedded in part of our life as we look out for others in the midst of the catastrophe, but also may we make that a way of life. I'm cautiously optimistic that everything will be fine, but we, we, yeah, we have to constantly use the word pivot. Again, that's a word that we hear lots, but you have to be resilient and you have to be able to adapt. You've got um, here in Melbourne, you've got restaurants who have just gone from in in dining to takeaway businesses and clearly it's not the same as what it was previously but they're they're coming up with smart ways of being able to survive through a difficult uh, period period. Um, and yeah look I think things will be good but there's definitely going to be some challenges so we have to look out for one another um, and and see how we can how we can help I, I actually I drove through the city this morning to to help my daughter pick up something and I saw some international students lined up and I didn't know that at the time, but my daughter told me it was kids who were lining up for food parcels. So you, you think of that and um, you think of how you can help those kids because they're living a long way away from home and might not have the resources. So, yeah, I think we've got to help, help people as, as best we can because uh, after this is all done, um, you should be just doing this anyway. But look... I. I'm, I'm, we, we must move forward, as simple as that. Mm. And um, there's great opportunities. And if, if people want to sit back and just wait for things to get better, then you might miss the fantastic opportunity to, 
find an opportunity or to get ahead. Uh, and then when everything's back to normal, and yeah, normal might take a little little bit of time, um, then then have a break or then have your business boom even even more. Um, so that that would that would that would be that would be some of my observations. Hope that helps. I hope you've enjoyed this trip down memory lane as we've taken little snippets from our past 99 episodes to celebrate here today in our 100th episode. And one of the things that seems to combine and connect all of our guests, all of our yogs, both those who we've had on our podcast and featured and 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 also all of those thousands of students who have not yet been featured on the Inspired by Yarra podcast is something that we term the Yarra spirit. And from time to time, I, I explore that topic with our guests, with Yogs, to see what they make of it. What does that term or that phrase offer to them? And David Sinclair from the class of 2004 seems to encapsulate a range of perspectives and ideas in his response to that idea. What does the Yarra spirit mean to you? The Yarra spirit's not a term that I've, I've used before, but I can see what you mean. I can see how you can encapsulate that. Um, I mean, you, we used to call people Yarra people or you know, mm. Yarra boys and girls, and that's probably a similar vein. Um, I think there's a, there's a humbleness to it out here. Like, you know, we're sort of, you know, one of the, one of the furthest private schools out into the eastern suburbs is not too much further than here. Mm. Um, and you find that it, it's a collection of people from all across the Yarra Valley um, who some come from humble beginnings, some not, but um, a sort of salt of the earth sort of people. You know, I remember my year level was really diverse and uh, my old brother went to a city school in his um, high school years and it was just a different environment. Mm. Yeah, everyone he knew was from a different background. Mm. Um, but here, yeah, I, I find it's just a humbleness. It's a, um, there's a lot of loyalty, a lot of community out here. It's a strong community. Yeah. Um, I think just it's a, it's a school that takes care of its own and, and comes here and, and um, doesn't judge and doesn't have um, some of the other attachments that may be bigger private schools, city private schools have. Yeah. Um, and I, I sort of probably wouldn't have understood that if I didn't have the experience from my older brother um, and then from people you meet at university and the like. Yeah. But, you know, it turns out it's quite rare to have mates from high school still at my age. Yes. Uh, and it's such a commonality amongst people from Yarra Valley. They've, they've collected high school mates and kept them. Yeah. Um, so I think there's something special about that, something about the caring nature of the school and yeah. something about that spirit as you talk about that exists that, you know, it's hard to quantify, mm. but but you definitely feel when, you know, even being back on campus today, like it just rushed memories through your brain of that 13 years and, yeah. and such positive experiences. And you're lucky to have them because a lot of people don't look at school positively. Sure. Um, and for me, it was an incredibly positive experience. You know, one of, one of, one of the best stages of life so far. Mm. So no, I, I really enjoyed the experience here. And Steph Puopolo from the class of 2009, she continues to speak uh, so positively about Yarra Valley Grammar and how this school and all of the students who are who have been and who will be part of this school community, there seems to be a way that we, the school, are able to bring out their best. Everyone finds a way to shine, and that is the mark of a great school. That is the Yarra spirit. 
Yeah, and I think that's why Yarra Valley is so unique because it really finds a way, They find the school finds a way to bring out the best in everyone because there is something for everyone. And that's what's beautiful about the school is that it, it really makes it easy for everyone to find their place, I think, as well, um, and really explore explore what what they love and what they what they're good at um which i think is really wonderful sometimes i ask our yogs about their understanding of our school motto lavavi oculus a, a, a translation from the latin into english is to lift up my eyes steph continues her exploration of these these ideas these concepts and sees how it not only impacted her at school, but right here and now. Lavavi Oculus. I think there's a lot of talk now about being in the moment. And I think it probably stems a little bit from that, being in the moment, being opening your eyes to what is right in front of you, be there, be here now. But it also, um, it probably makes me think about being open to new challenges, being open to new opportunities, um, goal setting, like where, you know, lift up your eyes, look ahead to where you'd like to be in five years. I, I think it may, it can mean a lot of things. And I think at where I'm at with my career at the moment, it, it probably means a lot about being in the moment, but then also being aware of where I would like to go and where I would like to be. And I really appreciate how John Adam keeps it simple. What does Lavavi Oculus mean to you, John? Um, as a student, um, it was always there, but I didn't know what it means. And it was probably a strong thing we talked about um, back when I was studying. But now that I know it now, it's probably, it's probably got a lot of different meanings. I think one, to be looking towards the future. That's the way I would see it, is you know, looking, lifting up your eyes, but also having a positive mindset on things. Mm. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that trip down memory lane to explore the ins and outs and differences and opportunities and perspectives and experiences that encapsulate our first 99 episodes. Thanks, a special thanks to all of those former guests, past guests on all of their various episodes for allowing us to just grab a few little snippets and share it again here on episode 100. That gives you a bit of a snapshot of some of the gems, the wisdom, the fun that we have here on the Inspired by Yarra podcast. If this has been your first encounter here at episode 100, welcome aboard and I trust you enjoyed this. If you've been with us on the journey and this may be even your 100th episode of tuning in and listening, then thanks for being part of the ride with us. Please. Feel free to share this with others to help them find and discover the Inspired by Yarra podcast. Some people, many people still don't know what a podcast is, don't know how to find them, don't know how to access them. So would you help them to discover the richness and the depth of story and experience that are shared here on the Inspired by Yarra podcast? We would love that. And also, if you haven't already, we'd love a rating and a review on whatever podcast app you might be tuning in on thank you thanks for being here and uh, and enjoying this episode i trust you have and can i just mention thanks again to each of our guests 
of the first 99 episodes and some of those who got a second run in little snippets in our 100th episode. Let me tell you what's coming up for episode 101, and that is our first complete second episode with the same guest. That is Andy Griffiths, international best-selling author, was our guest on episode 001 of the Inspired by Yarra podcast, and he's also guest on episode 101 of the Inspired by Yarra podcast. So I trust you'll come back next episode and uh, tune in and see some of the uh, fascinating (laughs) insights that Andy offers in his second time round with us on the Inspired by Yarra podcast. My name's Paul Joy, and on behalf of everyone at Yarra, I want to wish you another day of inspiration where you get on out there in whatever the day holds for you. And you show up with intentionality to make a positive impact in the world around you.